Hey guys, welcome to the Behavior Tech's Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Ms. Ashley, and I'm a behavior tech. Let's reinforce some of my behaviors. Hi guys, thank you for joining in to this meeting of Behavior Tech's Anonymous. My name is Miss Ashley, and I will be leading this meeting today, as per usual. Um, it has come to my attention that at the end of my last podcast, I did not give an RBT ethics code. So I will be doing two today um, at the end. And overall, I really do need to like be better at like organizing everything. But that's my issue is that I'm not a type A person. I'm like a type B person, uh, type B plus at best. I want to be organized. I want to have all my little ducks in a row and I want to be able to just do things. And I feel like for type A people, it's really easy for them to just kind of do things. They're like, oh no, like I have to put this here and this here and then this can happen. But for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to set this down here and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden I have a podcast due and I'm like, oh no. Why did I do that to myself? I I frequently say that things are a problem for future Ashley when they don't really need to be a problem for future Ashley. They can just be like a regular problem for present day Ashley. But that's neither here nor there. I am also kind of like that at work. And as an RBT, you really should be organized. I mean, in any field, you should be organized, but like you want to make sure that you have like all your reinforcers ready to go, um, all their like procedures planned out, not not planned out, okay, but like you know when you're going to do what. So like, especially like in a clinic, like um, when you are doing like DTT stuff, I would always kind of know like the flow that I wanted to go with it. Because I knew the targets, like they'd be like, client will say D in approximation to the word dog or something. And then they would have to like discriminate red from blue. Just like little things like that. Like in my head, I would have like this whole system of what I wanted to do. And um, I think it was easy for me to focus on that because it was for the client. So not that I would do like the same routine of the work every time, but I would go in with a plan for like what I was going to do and when. And obviously like depending on the client responses, if the plan would have to deviate, but still like I knew what was going to go on. But I think for me, and it's been something else that I've noticed for other RBTs, it's like harder almost to do that for ourselves um, outside of work, especially if you're not, especially if you're not the type A person like me. It's just harder to focus on myself after focusing on, like, other people all day long. And it's such, like, an intensive focus. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to give you a little bit of attention here and there. Like, it's constant. It's all day. And there's, like, a lot of pressure because you are in charge of, like, changing this kid's life. Like, yes, the behavior analyst writes the plans, but we have to do the plans. And we have to do them, like, right. And I always just kind of felt like that like intense like pressure where if I don't if I'm not on top of my game I'm going to be impacting this kid and their family's future and their lives and it's going to be on me if I mess up 
So it it would always like really, really stress me out. And I would try very hard to be like as organized as I could be to make sure I had all my stuff um, like easy and accessible. And I, I spent a lot of time stressing about that in a clinic setting. In a school setting too, you want to make sure that. But again, like my school setting experience is probably different than a different person's and so on and so on. Um, in my first school setting, I was more of like a behavior reduction type person. I put out a lot of fires, did a lot of trainings and stuff on how to de-escalate verbally. And um, I'm kind of doing a similar thing in my new school, but it's more like I have like little groups that I get to run and we're doing like curriculum stuff. And it's just like along with like the ABA programming. It's really cute. I'm a big fan of it. But even for that, I have to work to be more organized. And when I'm not, I feel like the disorganization is like a negative reflection onto me and I hate it. I can't stand it. It also kind of translates over to um, my personal life <laughs> and wanting my things to be more organized, like with my podcasts and things. And I'm just not very good with social media anyway. I'm pretty sure I've said that a lot in this podcast, but it's just true. And it's, I really want to be. I have no reason not to be. It's not like I'm an old, old lady or anything. I just am really bad at technology. And just like staying on top of myself for things anyway. So the combination of the two is just rough. But anyway, back to kind of like the organization type A type E talk thing. I have had behavior analysts that have been type A's. Most of them are type A that I have had. Um, you know, very organized, very focused, very on top of it. And I think that's pretty much ideal for a BCBA, which worries me still a little bit because I am in school to hopefully become a BCBA one day. Um, that might change because who knows what I'll want to do in a month, a year, five years from now. But I am definitely type B, and if I can't get, keep myself organized, it's going to be an issue. Oh, you know what you guys need to be making sure that you're keeping organized is your supervision hours. Don't forget to do that. Even though we don't have to submit them in anywhere, like keep track, keep a record so that you don't get, um, what is the word, audited by the BACB. And that just sounds horrific. I don't want to be audited ever. And you have to keep those records for like seven years. Yeah, seven years. And then, you know, your supervision is just 5% of the hours worked and can be in person, telehealth, yada, yada, yada. yada. But anyway, enough of that. I wanted to tell you guys a story about faking your credentials. Now, I don't know if some of you listening are RBTs already or your BTs looking to become RBTs or what. However, if you go on your resume and you put in you are an RBT and you are advertising that you are an RBT um, without actually having your certificate, I suggest not doing that. I don't believe that there are any legal repercussions of it, but it's not a good thing to do. And I'm only bringing that up because I've recently had that happen like two times now within a month where someone has said that they were an RBT and then they've gotten brought in for a job of training or something and they're not 
and they're just not. And you can kind of tell, like, right away when they're not. All you have to do is, like, ask a couple questions. Now, if you ask me a question point blank, um, my brain's going to freeze up and I'm not going to be able to answer it. But you should be able to answer some questions, like, accurately without any kind of, like, assistance. And these people just could not. And I felt bad. I think that they did want to become RBTs. Or maybe they just saw like there was like a pay increase if you were an RBT instead of um, this other job. But it doesn't matter. Don't do that. Um, It looks bad on you personally. So even if you did get like your RBT later, I would never go back to the same job that I lied to. Because like that's just crazy. And other than that, you know, you also want to make sure that you are only really doing work that is in your scope of certification and your competency. And if you have been put in a situation where you're doing something that is away from that, then you need to figure out who to tell to kind of stop that from happening if you're not willing to just stop it from happening yourself. Um, So this has also happened to me a lot in the school setting, just because a lot of teachers and school staff just didn't know who I was. So they would want me to do like other things like Um, In my first school, I was not to do like curriculum or any kind of academics with the children. I was just there to, you know, provide direct behavior supports or to do like de-escalations. But it's hard for school staff to be able to wrap their heads around that, that there's help here. They can't help with like specific things. And I've had teachers like kind of push and push and push and try to get me to do things that I shouldn't have been doing per my job description, but also give kind of like behavioral advice, which is against the ethics code for RBTs to do. Um, I could say some stuff that was already on the child's like VIP or the crisis plan that the behavior analyst already put in place. But for me to just kind of suggest things on my own would not have been a good thing to do. Could I have? Yes. Technically, I could have said some stuff that I thought would have been helpful. However, it's not very ethical. But if I thought it was actually like a really good idea, then I would take that back to my BCBA and then she would, we would talk about it. We would talk about why I thought that way, um, what it would mean, how I thought it would look, and then how she thought it would look. And then if it was like a good idea, then we would go and we would, you know, we would talk about it. We would just have a conversation about it, which was always really good to be able to have that open uh, dialogue with people. But I've also been taken advantage of for having an open dialogue. Um, this That happened like in the clinical setting. And what had happened was, which I'm sure has happened to millions of other RBTs, the parents really wanted me to be able to uh, like babysit or be like alone with the child when I was doing an in-home session. Because they wanted to go, they needed to go pick up like the client's sibling from daycare or something. And they were like, I'm going to be gone for like 45 minutes. Are you able to stay here with the client and like watch them? And I was like, um, no, I cannot do that. I'm not allowed to be like alone with a child. And then they were telling me about how I should you know, like make something for dinner and then do this and that, like in their home while they were gone. And I was like, no, like you cannot leave with me in here. And my BCBA ended up having to like 
So I called the BCBA and I let her know like what was going on. And she said, okay, hang on. Then she hung up and she was off the phone for a while. She calls the mom instead of me back. And she asks the mom, like, what's going on? And the mom tells her that they just have to go pick up the sibling and that they'll be back in like 45 minutes. Um, I have, you know, obviously like babysat and worked with children before, but I'm not trying to get like walked all over and like used and abused, right? But the BCBA kind of seemed like it was my fault that I wasn't doing it. Um, she basically threw me under the bus and said that I had been speaking to her about it and I made it seem way worse than it needed to be and how, you know, I really shouldn't be left alone with the client. However, that's something that I need to be able to communicate. Like, that's what she said to the mom while I was like in the room. The mom had put it on speaker and I was like, well, I, I'm not comfortable like being here alone. I've said that already. And the BCBA told me that I needed to be more professional when I said no to parents, which maybe. However, like I thought I was being pretty professional. I don't know how much more professional I could have been about that whole situation. Which, by the way, we, we should not be alone with clients in an in-home setting. The caregiver needs to be present at all times especially for the little ones. I'm not sure if that goes for um, the adults, but, you know, for the littles, that's pretty much, that's the standard practice that I've heard. Um, if it's different anywhere else, let me know because I'm very interested in hearing about it. But I just know that I was not about to be, like, left alone with this kid. Um, now, if the parent just, like, goes outside, like, that's one thing. But anyway. So the parent is like really upset. My BCBA is now upset for some reason. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. So what do I do? And the BCBA was just like, we'll just end the session and then we'll talk about it later. And I was like, okay. And then I left. And then a couple of days later, I went to go back to that client's house because I had their session. And the BCBA had called me and told me that I needed to be more flexible and aware of things because it was making her look bad at the clinic if I was putting in too many complaints. So I asked her, like, what was she talking about? And apparently during my feedback sessions, that's what she called them, feedback sessions, whenever she would give me feedback, I would question it. And if I asked her to model something for me, she took that as like a personal offense that I didn't believe in what she was saying, I guess. That's, again, those, those are her words. So I asked her, like, how I was supposed to learn if I wasn't allowed to, like, ask questions during my feedback. And she told me that I needed to just trust her and that things would just be how they were. And for me to give her feedback about stuff that was happening wasn't appropriate, especially over telehealth because other people in the office could hear what I was saying. And I said, oh, well, I didn't mean for like it to be like a negative thing. I just had this idea of something that I know worked with one of the other clients, and I didn't know if maybe you wanted to try it here. And she was not having it. 
She was so over me. I was super over her. I do not miss her at all. And luckily, like, I'm, I had worked on, you know, self-advocacy enough at that point to be able to talk to her about it because I know, like, Ashley in the past would have just been like, okay, whatever you say, anything to, like, not rock the boat. Um, now I've gotten to the point where I basically tip the boat over anytime I talk to anybody, which is probably not good either. But, you know, we're, we're learning. We're working on it. We're learning. It's just, it's a stupid process. It's not stupid. It's an annoying process. I'm just so tired of trying to better myself all the time. Ooh, another great way to work outside of your scope and get in a lot of trouble is to actually just start making your own behavior plans like independently by yourself. I recently got into like a little spat with somebody on, um, what was it, Facebook in one of like the other like little RBT groups that I'm in because I said that behavior techs were not allowed to write behavior plans. And that's, that's what I had said and, or something along that lines. But anyway, um, and this person like came on there and they were really upset with me because they were talking about like how, you know, you could write behavior plans if you're doing field work and if you're being supervised by a BCBA, they can have you write plans and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, that's not what I'm talking about though. I'm just talking about like an average everyday RBT just trying to work and get through the day should not be writing their own behavior plans because it's unethical. It goes outside of our scope. He got so upset. He just came at me over and over. I was not attending to this behavior after a minute. And they just kept going and going and going. And I said, okay, what, what do you want me to say here? And then I got nothing, no response. And I said, okay, that's fine. It's just ridiculous because we cannot write our own behavior plans unless we are being supervised by a BCBA. And even then, you need to be careful because you're not a BCBA. You know, a lot of us have not gone to school for any kind of behavior training and are just trying to make a living off of the 40-hour training and all the feedback sessions that we are provided. It's not a bad thing. It's just the way that it is. And it's kind of like a paraprofessional or an educational assistant or an instructional assistant or whatever whatever your school calls them, okay? Because I've heard a billion different names for them. Um, it's like a paraprofessional writing a lesson plan almost or an IEP. Like, like even though they're being like supervised by like a teacher telling them that this is right, this is right, this is right. But is that really like what's best for the child? Like I feel confident that I could m probably write a behavior plan and maybe a good behavior plan because I've had to work with some really good behavior plans. But I don't think that I should <laughs> or even that it should be my job because that's another issue too. Because when does it stop? Like, okay, so the BCBA is overseeing you writing these behavior plans and then maybe another BCBA sees that you have written behavior plans before. So then they have you write behavior plans, but they don't really supervise you as much and then so on and so on until you find yourself in an extremely unethical situation where you're just writing behavior plans and submitting them to a BCBA and that's just what's happening. 
And now you might be thinking, well, <laughs> that's kind of extreme. It's, it's happened. It's happened at one of the clinics that I've worked at. Um, they said that she was a BCABA, but she was not. She was, she was an RBT, and they had her writing these behavior plans because she said that she, they, she had been there since the clinic had opened. And the clinic had been opened for approximately three years at that point. So apparently three years as an RBT is all it takes to be able to independently write behavior plans and have um, behavior analysts lie and say that you are a BCABA when you're not. I'm, like, I'm just like very frustrated with the system and how things are operating lately. And I'm trying not to really express that, but it's hard. It's hard when you're given a microphone and you're sitting here and you're talking to yourself to not like think about all that stuff. So, you know, just operate in your scope. It's basically, it's basically what I'm getting at. Plus, why do you want to put extra work on yourself? Again, if, if you're that person that was yelling at me, on the Facebook, if you are getting your fieldwork hours, you should absolutely be practicing writing your plans and doing your stuff. However, if you are like me and just a regular old RBT, don't don't put more work on yourself. Especially if you're like in school for this, like you'll get there to the point where you need to start writing these plans. But I, don't, I wouldn't rush it. I've seen so many interns cry. And me personally, I would like to prolong that stress for as long as I could. Oh, and what can also happen if you're operating outside of your scope is that you could kind of enter the realm of misleading information. So RBTs should not really make false or misleading or like exaggerated statements about their qualifications. And actually, I'm pretty sure that's like a direct quote from the ethics, which if it is good for me. Um, anyway, they can't go out and say that we are like BCBAs. Um, behavior specialists, I think, is tiptoeing on the line of being not okay. Uh, at the one school I worked at, they referred to me as a behavior specialist, but I made sure to like be like, no, I'm not really the behavior specialist. I'm more of like their assistant because that was the best way I could really describe things sometimes. But basically, I didn't want to like give off the feeling that I was more than what I was even heard. So, you know, we're registered behavior technicians, not registered behavior therapists. And I've heard a lot of, like, controversy over it, over calling ourselves, like, behavior therapists. Um, and I would have to, like, kind of agree with that one because I feel like it gives, like, a different like, meaning to our job and, like, what we do. Like, I feel like a therapist is somebody who sits down and they come up with strategies and they do all this other stuff. And once again, we can assist with that, especially if you're getting your fieldwork hours. So we'll make that very clear. But... Overall, like, we're technicians. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being a technician, obviously. We're in high demand. But going out into the world and saying that you're something that you're not is against our ethics code. I really do feel like, though, that if given the chance, 
I could write some pretty good behavior plans. I won't do it. So if you're listening from the BACB, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. I just feel like I have a lot of good ideas sometimes. And sometimes a lot of the BCBAs that I'll be working with do not have those good ideas. Or, you know, just like not willing to hear my ideas. Which I think is like my biggest issue right now is how many of us have like these really good ideas and could give like really good feedback and stuff. But, um... They just don't want to hear it. Why? Why don't you want to hear it? And you know what? Don't even ask them that because then they're just going to get mad. I love my good BCBAs. I've got like three BCBAs at the top of my mind every time I talk about a good BCBA. And I know that each and every one of them um, kind of listen to this. So, hey. Hi, guys. Hope you're having a hope you're having a good drive to work. But anyway, all right. I kind of knew today was going to be like a little short one, not like way shorter than the other ones, but um, the next one I'm hoping it'll be uh, really great and I'm really excited for the uh, next meeting of Behavior Text Anonymous. Before I leave though, we are going to be reading the two ethics codes that I promised from the beginning because I didn't do one last time. So, and it kind of works out because it's kind of like what I talked about. All right, so ethics code... 1.05. RBTs do not knowingly make false, misleading, or exaggerated statements, boom, pretty sure that's word for word what I said earlier, about their qualifications or behavior technician services. They provide a current and accurate set of relevant credentials to employers and supervisors upon request. Then there's RBT Ethic 1.06. RBTs provide behavior technician services only after their supervisor confirms that they have demonstrated competence. They work with their supervisor to continually evaluate their competence. If if an RBT identifies that they are being asked to do something that goes beyond their scope of their certification and or competence, they immediately inform their supervisor or other appropriate individuals at their place of employment and document this communication. All right, so there you go. There you go. Um, If you're the guy who was really mean to me on the internet, I hope you're hearing this. I hope you like it and I hope you share it with your friends and tell them how annoying that I am because I was right. All right, no, for real though, um, thank you guys for listening. I hope to see you guys at the next Behavior Text Anonymous meeting. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything, you can email me at hello at behaviortextanonymous.com. You can find me on Instagram at behaviortextanonymous. And then I have my, my own little uh, Facebook page called Behavior Text Anonymous, but that is just for RBTs. So until next time, I hope you guys stay uh, safe, stay warm and cozy because it is getting colder outside. And I hope to see you at our next appointment on November 21st. It's in two Tuesdays. Meeting adjourned.